you've, you uh, uh, maybe have heard, maybe one or two of you have not, so I'm going to say it, that in nine days on October 31st, the way that the Christian church counts things in history, it will be the 500th anniversary to the day of what's called the Protestant Reformation. The church is over 2,000 years old, but 500 years ago, the church had been, for several hundred years, separated from the clear truth of the Bible, largely. And God, during that era, used several people, not just one, but there was one who was the lightning rod named Martin Luther, to bring his word back to the church as the foundation of Christianity. And it, it turned the world upside down. And it's in nine days that it will be 500 years since Luther went, kind of went public with his departure from church leadership to say, God's word says, and I'm going to teach and preach that even if they put me to death, which is what princes and kings and church leaders were doing up until that time. 500 years. Uh, I'm just going to say a couple phrases or ask a couple questions and see if you can just shout out the answer. Uh, Maybe 15 years ago, what was Nike's big slogan? Just do it. And maybe 25 years ago, what was Coke's thing? Coke is the real thing. Well, shortly after the Reformation of the church, back to the Bible, people would ask, what are you Protestants all about? What's your big thing? And so they... They put together three phrases. Scripture alone. Grace alone. And faith alone. That's what we're about. So today, if somebody asks you, and I know that not every day somebody asks you, but if somebody asks you what you believe as a Christian, that would be a great way to say it so that they can remember what you said. And it'll organize your own thoughts. I believe scripture alone is the foundation of everything that we believe. I believe grace alone is the only way that we can have a relationship with God. And I believe that faith alone is the only way that we receive that. Not by working and effort, but by trusting that grace. So what we're going to do here is talk about scripture alone and next week. Grace alone and the following week. Faith alone. To celebrate the Reformation. But not just to celebrate but to reclaim for ourselves the strength of what God has given all people through his beautiful book called the Bible. So let me ask you a question. Answer it for yourself. Are you spiritually stable? I didn't say are you spiritual. I said are you spiritually stable? Are you blown back and forth by the wind of different ideas and thoughts and you have a lot of doubt or a lot of confidence and faith in the veracity of what you believe? Let me ask a different question. You, you can only answer this for yourself. Nobody will argue with you. You're by yourself there sitting in the chair. How well do you really know the Bible? Do you kind of know the Bible? Do you know 20% of what it teaches? Do you know 50%? Are 
Are you at home when you open that book? It's got 66 books, and they're all different kinds of writing, different genres. How well do you really know the Bible? The reason I ask those two questions, are you spiritually stable, and how well you know the Bible, I'm going to make a proclamation that all Christianity proclaims, if they are really Christians. Your spiritual stability is directly proportionate to your understanding of the Bible. That's everywhere in the book. And often, I think, as Christian people, we underestimate the cataclysmic, monumental moment in the Bible when the devil came up to Eve at the very beginning. The Bible says chapter 3 of the first book and says, Did God really say? He got Adam and Eve to doubt the veracity of the word that they knew. And when they started thinking their own thoughts ahead of God's thoughts about the important things in their lives, they fell. And we all fell with them. And we've all been born into a world that our parents helped create with a tremendous amount of thoughts and ideas about spirituality and God that simply aren't true. They're spun out of the minds and hearts of men and they don't come down from the God who created us. We all know that. It's what, it's what made Adam and Eve get derailed. It's what made Abraham and Sarah get derailed and think that they had to get a concubine to help have that baby they were promised. It's what made Israel fall away when they got into the land and followed the ideas of other religions. It's what derailed the Apostle Peter. Even after being with Jesus, he started to act like a Jew again and not a, a, a person who believed in the Christ. It's what derailed the churches that Paul wrote. And so Paul wrote these 13 books in the New Testament help get them back to the Word of God. You see, this thing that we're in this room to talk about and to believe and to feel is all based on words. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on looks. It's not based on our music. It's not based on our anything other than words. Or else... God says it's not real. It's just fake spirituality. Now, that's important for our preachers to say. That's important for the apostles to write. That's important for us to believe. Because when you don't remember, and it's easy to forget, when you don't remember that it's all about the words of God, you get derailed, and I get derailed. And we get ourselves all mixed up about much ado about nothing that's important. So, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but I'm just going to tell you, Paul was this guy that became a, a leader of the church shortly after Jesus had lived his life and ascended to heaven. And Paul started churches. He went from place to place in Turkey, in Greece, and he started churches by talking to people about the words of God about his son. And it was amazing. People started gathering together and calling themselves Christians after Paul came, even after he left. And so there were these churches in different places. So there's one in Corinth, Greece. Now Corinth was a place a lot like Austin. It was cosmopolitan and metropolitan and up-to-date and packed with people with a whole lot of philosophies and ideas. That sounds like Austin. That was Corinth. 
You know, as many of you are looking at, you're Christians for a long time, you know the Bible pretty well, and you, you can get the feeling, because we're all together and nobody here is here arguing with us, we're not in the philosophy classroom where there's other ideas and we have to stand up for our face against much criticism. We get the idea when we're in here that these churches that Paul wrote to, were the, they were like the whole city got the letter. But it didn't. It was just a little group of people like us in a big city. So when Paul wrote the Corinthians, they weren't that big of a group. A couple hundred in a big city, a thousand, with thousands of ideas. But after Paul had come and brought the words of God, and they had become Christians, and he left, they started to build their faith on church, on the words of men, they were very eloquent people who liked eloquent, wise orators. And it got more important to them that if the, if the, if the pastor resonated with them when he talked than if he resonated with the word of God that Paul had preached. We get that. You remember uh, the coach that just lasted a short time at A&M, Franchoni? I happened to be on a plane with him about, about 10 years ago, after, long after, A&M and before Texas State. And I was, you know, freaking out because I get to sit with my friend Tony, and I had all kinds of questions to ask him. So I did. Of course, I asked him about religion, and he said, yeah, I grew up Lutheran. I thought, oh, you know, he lives in Marble Falls. We have a church there. He grew up Lutheran. Are you going to church? He goes, well, I go, but I go to a whole different church now. And I said, why? And he goes, I can relate to the pastor. He has relevant sermons. And I said, relevant to what? He said, relevant to life. And I said, that's important. But you want him to be relevant to Christ in the Bible too. Oh, yeah, 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 that too. You see where we are as a culture though? That's first, isn't it? Did it resonate with my life? How human-centered is that, right? Does it resonate with God? then that'll be something worth calling my faith. Because my faith's not in myself. My faith's in my God. The God. Not just my God, but the God. So Paul was trying to help the Corinthians. Because of their love for eloquent speakers and orators, they just about entertain anyone to come speak to them, except now the Apostle Paul, because he is getting criticism, because he basically talked like a Texan. His... His English was accented with a southern accent. Of course, he didn't speak English. You understand what I mean, though. He wasn't eloquent. You know what he's worried about? The same thing that Martin Luther was very concerned about in the 15th century. Paul was worried about that peoples were playing church now and losing their faith because they were no longer basing it on the word. Now the word of men. So he wrote them. You go home and you want to like build on what you hear today. Read chapter one and chapter two of First Corinthians, and you'll see him laboring to get them back to the simple word of God that made them have faith in Christ. You'll get excited about the right things, and you'll know more about the Reformation. But I'm going to focus on chapter two, one to five. You have it in the folder. 
Here's the first verse. Go to that first verse there. I'm, I'm way off script, so you're going to have trouble. So just, just read this with me, okay? Um, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In chapter 1, he says, the whole church is built on a message that's foolish to the world, that Christ died for all people. And one man's sacrifice, who's already gone now, God says all people are sinners, but they're forgiven in his grace. They just need to turn to him and believe in that grace because it's already there for them. And he said, then he says this, and so when I came to you, I didn't have eloquence or human wisdom. Why did he say that? Because he was in a society that worshipped eloquence and human wisdom, and he had been in school to be eloquent and have human wisdom as a great Pharisee in Judaism. And he was a great Roman citizen and very well educated, and he knew that the Corinthians would want that, but that wasn't what they needed. They actually just needed the clear, what did he say? Testimony about God. There's a really, that, that original word is really instructive to get that word down. It's called martyr. He said, to give you the martyr about God, the testimony. A, a witness is somebody who gives testimony to the truth, no matter what you're going to do to them. Because it's the truth. He said, so when I came to you, he said, I didn't come with that wisdom and eloquence. I just gave you the testimony about God. And I decided, it says, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because if you don't have Jesus Christ crucified from the word of God, you don't have God. You are in the dark. You do not have spiritual life. You can tell me about all your mystical experiences, how your grandma appeared at the end of your bed. You can tell me about all of your prayer life, all of your moralism, all the great things you did. But if you don't know that Jesus Christ bridge the gap between your sinful, blamed heart before a just God, you don't have faith. You have faith in yourself, your religion, somebody else's religion that they taught you, but you don't have faith in the religion of the true God who sent his son to die for you because he loves you so much. So if a preacher is going to come to town where there's no teaching at all about Christ, he better talk about Christ. And Paul said, that's what I did. And he's going to go on to say, that's what made you alive, spiritually alive, because I, I resolved not to be an eloquent preacher. In fact, he even dumbed it down. Because if he was so eloquent, it would get in the way of the clear message of Christ. Our whole faith is built on words about a crucified Savior. And it's counterintuitive to the human wisdom to, to bow to that message. It's counterintuitive to put your faith in a crucified Savior. So what Paul is saying next is, you can go to the next slide, he says, I had to give up my, orata my oration prowess to just submit to let you hear the confrontation of your soul that you're a sinner who needs grace and Christ is your Savior. And I did it with trembling and fear. 
But I had to do it so you would experience the power of God, not the power of Paul. I received one of the greatest criticisms in my ministry uh, at the end of teaching classes for 15 lessons to a couple. She was a member of our church. He was not. He said, I'm not going to join your church because I feel like you're just a silver-tongued charlatan. And I thought, I think I tried too hard to be got in the way. I shouldn't have just said it like it was and not try to persuade him somewhere. I told him that. He still didn't join. My, my conscience is clear. But I learned a valuable lesson, right? Let's read this verse. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. What it must have been like to be the Apostle Paul. I mean, he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. People love that poetry. Pagans have it at their wedding. He was a beautiful writer. Paul was amazing with his logic. And he gave up all that when he came to Corinth just to teach them that Christ was their Savior and they were sinners that needed his grace. And it made him tremble to think that he had to be so confrontational with that clear message. And it was going to be so they would see a demonstration of the Spirit's power in their life. Because the Spirit brings peace to life when they hear they have to give up themselves and turn to the God whom they have long since rejected and know that he still loves them that grace doesn't stop being grace just because you got off track and God still accepts you back because his son's blood covers everything and Paul this is the thing about us preachers that you need to know Paul was as amazed when people came to faith through his simple preaching the gospel as the people were. <laughs> it's amazing to watch. Just tell somebody that Christ is their Savior, and they say, Chad, I want to get baptized. Can you come talk to my mom? Come to this church. and we'll all, I want to come up there. And I believe if you put a little water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that when you say I'm a redeemed child of God, that it, I really am. That's amazing. Now, next time, somebody tries to tell you you're something other than a redeemed child of God, all of you, you'll say, no, I'm a redeemed child of God. You believe a word. And that word gives you strength. It's the Spirit's power against the criticisms of the world. I mean, how can I stand up here and try to persuade you that it's all about the word after somebody called me a charlatan that's only trying to persuade people because I'm a redeemed child of God? You don't believe that? I know that. I'm going to be fine because my life is stable when it's built on the Word of God. I want to show you how this works in witnessing for the spirits to submit yourself to the Spirit's power. When I was in college, this big guy, and uh, I was hoping to give him the gospel in Christ. And I was, at that time, focusing so much on how I was talking to him and how he might react that I was very stressed out and I, it, he could tell it while I was trying to talk to him about faith in God and Christ. Have you ever been very stressed out when you think you need to witness to somebody? I was. And this is what happened. I was telling him about how I wanted him to listen to this because I wanted to tell him about Jesus, and I was worried about how I was saying it, and I 
kind of would start a sentence and go back and stop it and start a sentence. Finally, he just stopped me and he said, you know what? You know what your problem is? I was trying to tell him what his problem was. I said, I don't know what. He said, you think too much about what people think. You care too much about what they think. He goes, why don't you just say what you're trying to tell them? It's the Spirit's power, isn't it? He was waiting for it. But we got in the way. So, Paul wanted the Corinthians to get this drilled into their head. So did Martin Luther, because Martin Luther had been lost for a long time. And he was a man of his age. The church spent more time teaching the priests to read the wisdom of the, the, the philosophers of the church. They would read those philosophers, and then their speeches and their sermons would be mostly the philosophy of the last two or three hundred years in the church. And they weren't really just saying what the Bible was saying. And the poor people didn't even have the Bible in their language. And so if the priest didn't actually believe it enough to share it, they couldn't get it audibly. They just needed to say it. And Luther wanted to be saved. That was his bottom line. I want to know that I'm safe with God. I'm going to be here a short time. I want to go to heaven. I believe this stuff's all about God and heaven. And then he, he was forced to teach the Bible by those who cared about him. And the church had the Bible in the room. And as he taught the Bible, he learned the Bible because the teacher's twice taught, and it's all very simple. Luther learned the good news from the Bible. And he went, whoa, I feel like I'm born again. Well, you were. And he said, i got to tell other people this. And he did. And the printing press had just come into being, and printers loved to print stuff because they also made money off of Bibles. And they printed the translation put in the hands of the people and suddenly it wasn't just Luther there were lots of people around him that were going through the same metamorphosis and it just filled Europe with the Bible and the reason was because the Bible had the Spirit's power and people like Paul and Luther knew they had to unleash the power of God so at the end of this little five verses, it's just in the middle of the front end of his letter, what we're about to see here at the end. Paul has a, a phrase, the very two first two words of verse five. See him on the screen? So that. That's, that's a, an intended purpose clause. I came to you without banking on my own prowess as a preacher and my eloquence and wisdom so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power to change lives. So here's the deal. Paul's dragging them back to what was it when I came to town that saved you guys and gave you faith? It was the Spirit's power from a word from God wrapped around the crucified Christ. Why is that important? Because they were thinking it was about preachers and about church. See, the big, one of the biggest dangers, not the biggest, but one of the biggest dangers for Christians is that they, they, they fall off of believing their lives built on the Word of God to being built on their church. And you can tell it when you get really mad at your church about decisions that we're making or really upset with people because you depended so much on them and thought they had to be so perfect and you had such high expectations at church after, a while, after all. 
you Christians are supposed to be so good and you've been so bad to me. That kind of thinking is a person who's built their life on the church, not on the word. Sure, we get hurt. Sure, we need to change. Sure, we need to hear how we've done wrong. But we also need to hear it's not as important as the word itself. I mean, the, if you want to get upset about something at church, get upset if we don't preach to you the word of God. Then nail us to the wall in love. Get us back. Make us preach the word, but don't get mad at us or let, expect us to get mad at you over something less important. Why? Because deep down, like Paul was saying what? Your faith needs to rest on God's power, which is the word. That's what scripture alone means in your faith. See, it's not just enough to say with your head, scripture alone, but scripture alone, I build my life on this. See, everything in the Bible flows to, to redeeming you and creating you a new person and giving you faith. Paul once wrote, same guy, faith comes from hearing the message. There is no faith without the message, no real faith. So you build your life on the word, and when you're having a lot of doubt, first thing, just open your Bible. Get it open and start reading it. If you aren't at home in the Bible, you'll get more at home in the Bible the more you read it. Maybe the first few times you get in it, you're way in the wrong place. Well, it's a book of many books, and they're put together. Pastors love, and friends love to get texts. I'm having a lot of doubts these days about X. Can you tell me some places to read in my Bible? So get some help, but get into the Bible, and it will create the faith that we're talking about. In ministry, this is true of many pastors, but I've had the privilege to go see members of our church that have been incarcerated. Uh, they're in prison. They're stuck. They did something that society said, that's enough, we're going to lock you up for you to be pay your debt to society and hopefully be rehabilitated. What's been so fascinating to me, though, is that when you're stuck without all the distractions of jobs and family and uh, drug pushers and all that, and you're stuck there with other people that are in the same boat, and you're trying to keep your head and keep yourself safe and all that, and you're given a Bible because they'll let you have one, it's amazing to watch the transformation of a man or a woman who has really just food, water, a bed, a couple of weak friends, and a Bible. And some of the richest theological conversations I've ever had as a Christian is with that glass, with the metal mesh inside of the glass between me and that person. As we talked about love and faith in Jesus and what it meant and how they, their lives were changed, turned completely into a beautiful message. And I walked, I walked out of those places going, thank you, God, for putting them in there. And I could tell you about a few more people you should put in there so they'll read their Bible and believe like that person believes. You get 
don't ever let that go. It's our lifeline. It's a foundation on which we build our whole life. Go to the next slide. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for giving us people like Paul and Luther and friends and and for a book that's in print and for preaching in a church that cares about your word. We hear so many messages today. and We're addicted in our society to entertainment and all the things that are distracting us, but we're just saying we believe because you gave us that word and we want to be the people of the book. Help us to go to it and be around it and teach us from it by your Holy Spirit. Keep us strong in the faith and your grace and mercy and truth all the days of our life. Amen.